0: Oh yes, Sonny Stitt on both alto and tenor sax, Lou Levy on piano, Leroy Vinegar on bass, and Mel Lewis on drums. This is from Stitt's album uh, Sonny Stitt Blows the Blues, recorded in 1959. This is Lead Stories, I'm Eutrice Lead, and we're picking up from where we left off with each other just yesterday. And where we left off was we had more people than time to hear what they had to say. And I'm saying that to reinforce the point that don't wait. If you feel that you you might want to say something, get on the horn right away so that we don't end up in this predicament that that we are in today. Uh, I have had to, and I, I'm not complaining, but it is something to keep in mind. It's a time-sensitive thing. Um, we want to get on with the program, and we don't want to penalize anybody, you know, holding on and then people not yet there in queue and it becomes a little, uh, how should I say, annoying, (laughs) that's when it becomes annoying. So if you feel based on the topic that we uh, probably would be good company for you, jump on the phone, get in line. And so things move quickly and we don't have anybody penalized because basically you're slowed on the phone, you're late to the phone. So that's that, that's my big admonition for the day. Uh, So we were talking about education yesterday. What is it that we are getting as messages? from this administration about education, from people who are involved in it, people who are the beneficiaries hopefully of it. What are your concerns? What was your experience uh, with education? And what are your concerns about those being educated today? Is education meeting its expectations fulfilling its role? Is it is it producing, helping to produce people who will be perfect fits when it comes time to take their place in our society? So I noticed in some of the articles that I, I was reading, and it was sad. Um, several articles uh, focused on black students uh, graduating, and one said uh, one article was about somebody who had been uh, granted admission to every single college she applied for, uh, another was just elated. She applied to 50 colleges, and was accepted in all 50. So now she has the task of winnowing out who, which college she will go to. What I noticed: uh, these were African American women, by the way. Not much mention. In fact, no mention of people being excited about going to black colleges, historically black colleges. That bothered me quite a bit. And I wondered whether we are witnessing a hemorrhaging of talent. Well, to, to say we're witnessing a hemorrhaging implies that uh, they, they're there already, and they coming out, but they're not even going. And it seems like the, the, the prize is all of the Ivy league schools and very little mention is made of historically black colleges and universities. I find that very sad. Um uh, it brings to mind my older brother, who <laughs> stunned the family. One day he came home after school and uh, announced it was his last day at Columbia University. He wasn't going back there anymore. And people pretty much keeled over (laughs) wanted to know what is the problem he says i am going to howard university starting next week that's where I, i i want to go and indeed he did go there loved it and did very very well but something is happening uh it seems with education in historically black colleges and universities. At this time of year, all the coverage is given to, oh, these people are being accepted into this college and accepted into that one. That's great. It's great that a person would apply to 50 colleges and uh, be accepted in all 50. I find that, you know, a little bit, much, but okay, but we are not hearing about the zeal and the excitement that many students have about going to a historical, a historically black college or university anymore, but any event, your thoughts today, you didn't get to express them yesterday, or you didn't get to finish, So we return to that and polish off our assignment, and then we move on. 888-874-4888 is the number to call. 888-874-4888. If you didn't have a chance to uh, express yourself yesterday, this is it, because after this, I'm closing the gate on the subject. Jeremiah from Harlem. You are on the air.
1: Good afternoon, you
0: Good afternoon.
1: Um, pleasure to talk with you as always. Uh, my educational background is really an unusual one and I'm not going to walk you through the, the details of it, but, um, you know, basically I went to Hunter college here in New York city for three semesters. And I went there with a really pure attitude. I would say I wasn't there for the degree, so to speak. I was really there for the knowledge. And I just tried to absorb as much as I possibly could. I really gravitated towards history and philosophy. And um, I also got into student activism and I m- met some really, really brilliant people there who you know, expanded my worldview, my knowledge, many of which are still my good friends today. Um, but I left school because I had an opportunity to play music professionally and I figured well you know first of all this is a really special opportunity and I'm actually making some decent money it's kind of ironic as a professional musician the most stable gig of my career was my first gig I never really quite had a gig quite that stable you know, some 20 years after the fact being on the road with over a dozen different bands but when I left school for that musical opportunity I made it a point to be as disciplined as I could be as an autodidact, meaning, you know, a self-trained intellectual, I would pl- practice mm-hmm. my base and I would listen to lectures. And I would just literally, I try to always have books with me on the road when I was touring. Um, and, you know, I tried as well as I could to enrich myself. And now I find that, um, first of all, I just find that people nowadays don't really have the patience for a good discussion for the most part. I mean, of course, there are people who are interested in intellectual subjects or people who are interested in theoretical conversation, but I'm finding more and more this contradiction where we claim to value education, but we're really somewhat resentful of the people who are thoughtful about various subjects. And I'm finding more and more people with this sort of get in line sort of attitude um, they want a, a shortcut to, you know, to every resolution point, point. and um, you know, I just find it strange because we claim to value education, but as soon as someone starts sharing their knowledge, we start rolling our eyes and acting like you know, the person's trying to be a know-it-all when you know maybe the person is just sharing knowledge that they've acquired through reading or life experience or whatever. And we shouldn't be resistant to that process. But I'm just finding more and more people, despite the um, lip service we pay to education, we don't want to have, you know, drawn-out conversations with so-called $10 words. You know, we'd rather, you know, watch whatever, you know, television event there is that we're supposed to watch. And we'll talk about that quickly. And, you know, it just seems like more and more people are using cliches to make it through the day. And I feel like there's sort of an anti-intellectual undercurrent in our society.
0: Hmm. Do you think it has to do with a change, an overall change in attitude that associates the the mere going to college uh, being a kind of investment, and they're looking to capitalize on that investment as quickly as possible. They don't want to waste time, as, as they see it, uh, getting involved in the esoterics of things. It's about the practical matter of, I got to get X number of credits and I got to get out of here.
1: I think that's absolutely the case because I'll tell you as a person who did not get my bachelor's, you know, for, if I didn't make that clear in my, in my story, um I come across people who are quote unquote college educated, they have bachelor's degrees, they even have master's degrees, and they haven't heard of things that I just thought were pretty basic, um, a sort of 101 level education in you know philosophy, history, psychology. You know, one time I was at a, a little real estate sort of event with people with more money than I did by far to invest in real estate, but I was there for my own education. And I was after the event, I was talking to these people who all most certainly had more money than I did by their own description. I mean, some of these people were millionaires and I made a reference to, um, to Dostoevsky and they were like, Dosta who? (laughs) So <laughs> like, you know, Dostoevsky, the author of Crime and Punishment, the Brothers Karamazov? <laughs> and I made a reference to something else. I don't know what it was. I can't remember off the top of my head. Some a philosopher. They said, who's that? They said, wow, this guy is smart. I'm, and I was like, I didn't think of what I was saying was really something fancy at all. I, I, I thought it was something that anyone with a college everybody education
2: with, had, yeah, at like least, like had at least heard it, of. Sure.
1: If not versed in it, at least you've heard of it. I was, I was astonished, actually that um, they'd never heard of, of, of you know, the people I had mentioned. And I wasn't trying to show off in the least bit. I just took it as somewhat you know, as col- common knowledge for college-educated people. But I'm finding more and more people who are, are college-educated on paper, but I'm not sure what they were educating themselves in. Maybe it was just a particular technical vocation, but they don't seem to have left school with sort of a well-rounded education with Mm-hmm. Reference to various things you would expect them to know about.
0: That's true. I found that too. Uh, and this is on the teaching end. Um, you expect, I mean, some silly little things you make a reference to and people look at you like, huh? What? What's he talk?" About? And then it hits me. Oh, they have no idea what I'm talking about. And I'm presuming that what it is I'm talking about is so readily understood. Everybody has had some kind of exposure to it, but you then realize what education has come to and uh, what you're in for. It's, It's a tough call. Really, it is. Thanks for getting us started today, Jeremiah. I appreciate your call. My course. pleasure. Thank well, you. Gwen from New York. You're on the air. Hello. At
3: 888 888- Go ahead. Oh, hi, Tr- Yudhry. I've been listening to so mm-hmm. much uh, and wanted to chime in. Um, I just wanted to say, you know, I can understand education. I also gets used as a status thing and I think that's why people tend to get uh, upset when they feel that other people are using you know five dollar words because they feel that that person is is looking down on them and it's such a you know for me my mom was my first line of education And I took a lot of flack in school because my mother really spoke very well and she taught us a lot of words. And I loved using those words because these words were like the paint in my paint box and they could really help me to, you know, describe exactly what I wanted to say. But it also had a rub to it. You know, people thought I was being pretentious. People thought I was, you know, kind of looking down my nose, but I really wasn't. It was just uh, more stuff to use when you were coming to the table. Um, But I also know that, uh, you know, there are a lot of people that get education and they use it as a weapon. You know, I, I went to Harvard. I mean, I have a friend who went to Harvard who is a very nice lady, but always, you know, it comes into the conversation somehow or another. Now I'm not saying that's not a great achievement, but I have to say I was shocked when I was talking about racism in America And she didn't know what the hell I was talking about. And I said, I can't understand this. You went to the most expensive school there is. Like, are you telling me there was not one course on, like, what happened for the last 400 years? I, you know, I'm just really surprised at this because, you know, I didn't go to an expensive college. I went to where I could afford to go, uh, but I I got a lot of information. And I also think school is as good as... um, the person who's in the driver's seat, that that's not the teacher. That's you. It's as valuable as, as what you make it. We can't always say that it's the teachers or the professor's fault. If you come in and all you wanted to do was get a passing grade, then I guess that's all you're going to get. And there's plenty of people that in my opinion are utter morons that have gone to the best schools. For example, I think George W. Bush is is a moron and yet he went to Yale supposed to be a great school. I don't know how he got in there, but he got in there. So I think that what we need to do when we're, when we're looking at schools is we need to, you know, appreciate, well, maybe more appreciate their price tag more than anything else. Because especially these days, I'm not so sure that when you go in and you're buying an expensive education, I'm not really that sure that you're getting as much as you think you're going to get. Uh, I think often uh, schools that uh, people look down their nose at, um, are coming to the table with a lot more exuberance um, exuberance, because they really feel like they need to prove themselves more. And uh, I, I find that the teaching is uh, more interactive. The, small, the classrooms are smaller. And I also have to say that I find that people that go to school at night are probably the most committed students of them all. Anybody that works an eight-hour shift and can get their butt in a chair after that, These are the people, these are the richness of a student population that I think teachers really appreciate because I believe that people that are willing to do that and they're paying for their own school out of their own pocket. This is a true commitment. These are the people that really, um, really want to learn. I'm not sure if you're not just throwing your money out the window when you're sending, you know, for example, my niece to college. I'm glad she went to college, I guess, but I'm not sure that it was the right time in her life to go to college because I think she would have gotten more, had she waited and figure out what she wanted to do. But maybe this was, is, is what she wanted. But I I still think I don't like those schools where you have to, you know, rush in, rush out, uh, make sure you get that a, uh, and that's all that matters is that a, and then, you know, when you talk to people, they didn't really get anything out of the course. What did you really learn? Not much. Um, so that's one thing. And last thing I wanted to say is I am, I am totally, totally against any kind of drugging of children in our public education. I think it's, I think it's a hideous thing to do. I, I think that it, it, if a teacher doesn't have the chops to go in and handle what kids are like, because kids are rambunctious, kids are crazy, kids talk back, they have attitude, all that is part of growing up. And if that's not, if that's not what you can take, that's fine. I completely understand that. But for you as a grown up to administer drugs, to turn that child into a wet noodle, essentially. Well, you don't even know what's going to happen to them. You are, have done something to me which is abusive to children. And I think for the school systems in the United States to condone this and to make it a, a, a prerequisite, prerequisite, you can't go in unless you take these drugs if they find somebody, quote-unquote, acting out. I, I think that's a really um, it's a terrible idea. Um, I, I myself, when I have run for office, I have said this clearly. I am against it. Uh, There has got to be a better way of handling it than uh, drugging some poor child out. There's no such thing to me as a child 10 years old or under. They cannot have uh, a resolution without uh, a pill in the mouth. And that's my share for today. (laughs) All right. Thank you, Reverend. (laughs) You need to call and contribute. Thank
0: you. Thank you. From Maryland is next at eight 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 seven four four eight eight eight. We're talking about education. What are your observations about the status of education in the United States? 88-874-4888. Yes. Hello, Jean. You're on the air.
2: Thanks so much, and thank you for continuing this discussion today. Um, yeah. So. I, I think there's a, another angle here that should be examined. And it's the idea that the belief that we are told to have and, and given about study hard and you'll be successful and all of that stuff is not true to a large extent. And you'll recall over the last three and a half years, there was a case that was made into a movie called varsity blues and it was about a number of wealthy individuals who were paying off college coaches to have their children join a sports team at a particular at a number of particular schools in an effort to gain access where they didn't have the grades or play a sport to qualify to join a team at those schools. Now a number of those people have gone to jail for a short period of time and there were some fines and some restitutions and some of the coaches got fired and so forth. But in the space where this belief that, you know, if you just study hard and work hard and get good grades, you're going to achieve in life and so on. It's very clear that that is simply not true. And as a parent of one of these kids who is an elite athlete, that we're actually looking for that, um, it also shows that there is a, a, a bit of fallacy around fair competition and what it really means to work hard and play hard and you'll achieve. It's just not true. And that particular case points that out to us. So I I did want to add that to the discussion.
0: Okay. Could you, I I don't expect that you have statistics at your hand. They are ready to quote them, but I would instead draw on your own personal observation and experience how widespread is this? And what, how is the impact within your own community of this type of uh, situation that is developing across the nation?
2: Mm. Um, no, I don't have statistics and anything that I would say would be purely anecdotal. So let's just have a small disclaimer there. However, We are seeing many large elite universities that have legacy programs. And you'll recall when former President George W. Bush uh, was running for president for the first time, uh, it came clear that his admission to Harvard came to him on the basis of legacy. Um we have seen a number of, of other elite schools that parents have been able to buy access for those children um, outside of the sports arena. Um we we are also seeing things where Jeffrey Epstein, for example, was paying additional monies to Harvard to have access for some of the people that he was associated with. Um, So I use those examples, uh, again, anecdotal to be sure, um, but I I think that it is reasonable to take a look at these things and point to them and use them as examples of the tilting of the playing field, uh, and I I say that, pardon the pun, uh, but the tilting of the playing field to a point where, there are differences and things that begin to happen. Um, I think another example that, that is good to use is the the increasing number of international students who who come in and pay full vote for tuition, uh, taking up seats from American students um, who may not be able to pay full vote, uh, or even in some cases, some who can, but... Uh, the international students for other reasons may be a little bit more desirable. Um, And there are programs that are set up for them. So, um, you know, what I look at is, so my, my child plays tennis, and I look at the rosters of tennis teams across the country at these universities, and you will see full rosters of 18 players
4: completely
2: international. Um, here in the Washington DC area, for example, George Washington university, men and women's tennis teams have a full international team, not one American on there. And I asked the coach one day, I said, you know, George Washington was our first president and you don't have a single American player. What does that say? And you know, I didn't get an answer for the question, but I, I just thought that was very strange.
0: Mm-hmm. So forecasting, if you will, forecasting ahead, what will be the net effect of what you are observing and talking to us about today?
2: Well I I, I think number one is it places Uh, a significant limitation on the number of lower income and lower status children who may be deserving of uh, a higher education at an elite school or others. Um, It it puts direct limitations on there because the seats are limited uh, in many cases by the budgets, in many cases by the rule. Uh, I think what it also does is it, it, in many cases, limits the diversification of, of students that may attend some of these schools as well. Um, now, whether that's intentional or it, it just happens by circumstance, I, I'm not sure. But, again, when you look at these rosters, it's very clear who is coming in, who is playing, who gets a scholarship, and who doesn't.
0: Hmm. Well, thank you for that guided tour. It doesn't make me feel happy, but I know it is accurate. Thank you, Jean, for calling you. and contributing today. Thank you. Eve from Edgewater, you're on the air.
5: Good afternoon, trees, and good afternoon that- to the PRN family.
0: Thank you. Good afternoon to you.
5: I just had a few more things to add on. Uh, you know, the, the problem I think is in the start, like back in the twenties, thirties, forties, fifty, they got people to buy into this education system. It was kind of like a trick, like a Ponzi scheme. The people to get in on the, on the bottom level, they're going to do great. And then, the system is going to look like it's the thing it's, it, it's perfect. It works great. You go to school, you study hard, you do work and you benefit from it. But then as time goes by and let's not forget 1950, 3, million, 3 billion people on the planet, 60 years later, seven and a half billion people on a planet. We more than doubled the population in just 60 years. There's a a big playing field now, a lot more competition, a lot more people buying into this system. Now, we were indoctrinated into it by our parents who were tricked worse than us because they had to go through a depression, World War II, Korean wars, all kinds of misery and travesties. They made it through it somehow. And then everything looked like blue skies were dawning and, and bombs were bursting in the air and everything is great. So they said, son, daughter, this is what you do. You study hard, you read the books, you do all your work and you go to college and you're going to graduate and you're going to come out and get a good job. And it's going to be great for you. And that's how we got that indoctrinated into this system. But now we're seeing it. It's not true We're not going, we think we go to school to get educated. We're going to school to get trained to serve the system. That's where our mistake is. We got, we got indoctrinated into a system that was an illusion. That was a big lie but it worked for the people in the start. And that's why it stuck. And now we're all running around, not knowing what the heck's going on because people put themselves in debt, study things that when they graduate, they're not even going to be able to get a job at and they got to live at their parents' house and try to find a way to pay back these student loans. And they had to go, they had to go through all kinds of, jump through all kinds of hoops to get into these schools, get grants from here, Pell grants here because they don't have money like rich people have. Write a check, write another check, build a library here in this nice university and take care of my, my three kids. You know, they can just write checks and it's done and they get graduate and get all the good jobs because they're special. Yeah. They're special because they're rich and they got rich on our backs. And we're the ones that are doing the dirty work for them. And we're not getting any benefit out of it. And we've been tricked, tricked and tricked over and over again. We go to school. But the first 12 years, you learn the curriculum. We learn how to multiply. Yeah. We multiplied real good. We tripled the population in just 60 years. We learned to it. uh, subtract. yeah, when we want to subtract, we start wars and we subtract a lot of us. And we learn to divide real good, because we 've divided us each other up, almost into little tiny groups now. We 're we're, 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 we're all divided, and that 's just what the system wants. They want us to be trained, to, to, to learn things so we can serve the system well and create things that they want us to create so they can control us better. And we can't seem to get that through our heads because we're all so intelligent. We're chess masters. We're great this. We, we, we teach people to become pilots. We, we teach. We run newspapers. We, we're, we're too smart to be fooled like this. But see, E from Edgewater, he didn't get indoctrinated. He drove a cab three days a week and went to the beach with his musician friend during the week. And he did as hard as he could to avoid getting indoctrinated into this system because he knew it was an evil system. And this is what I'm trying to be conveying for the last five years. When I say we're living under a one-party system and it's... a. And it's a it's hell.
0: Thanks, she, Thank you for speaking your mind today. Thank you very much. Thank for you. For calling in. Thank you. All right, we'll take a little break here and we'll come back right after that to your thoughts and continue at 888 874 4888. So what comes to mind when you think about the state of affairs as it relates to education in the United States that you know of? From your own, your own observation, your own experience, what is it that you have observed about this thing we call education? Where is it taking us? Uh, Or where are we taking it? What is the future of education? And what are the issues that most often come to mind when you think about education in the United States? You've been through school. You've learned a thing or two. Has it served you uh, in, in your life? Have you been able to translate all that you know or some of what you know into a livelihood? Have you been able to benefit from your education in the United States educational system? Is it in need of an overhaul? And if so, what kind of overhaul do you think? Are people really being educated? Are they really getting from education, the skills and the knowledge and the ability to prepare themselves for the world, world of work and beyond eight, 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 seven, four, four, eight, eight, eight. We're finishing up this topic today. And so far, I am I'm very impressed with what people are saying. I think they have it, they have hit the nail on the proverbial head. What do you say? What is education? What do you mean by that? What do you understand it to be? What is it supposed to deliver to those being educated? And Do you believe that people are in fact educated or are they being trained as Ephraim Edgewater says, we're not being educated, we're being trained to fit into prepared slots and those slots have uh, specific regulations attached to them. Alex from Pennsylvania, you're on the air. Yeah. Hi, Patrice. All right. Hello. Uh, can
6: I? Uh, yeah. Hi. Uh, the the question about education. Um, can I clear one thing up first? Sure. Uh, Harvard University actually has a land grant, just like Penn State does. They they were donated a bunch of land when they were established in 1636. Harvard gets a land grant, and they have to build around the town. Because the university was there first. So the town structurally will build around the university. So what happens is uh, the reason why it's so hard to get in Harvard is because you have to have some like an area of 60 or 50 applicants for each one person that gets accepted. So what they do is they pick the, the cream of the crop. They pick the people on the top that have the best GPA, the best honor rolls, the best... Uh, after school activities and so forth like that so it's not like there's a conspiracy the fact is it's a land grant penn state university also has a land grant but because pennsylvania is in farmland and pretty much it's a lot of cornfields i live here so they wind up doing is they can build like instead of building up they build across so they can constantly put buildings up, and they do that all the time. Every single year, they're putting up a billion-dollar building. So the idea is that, uh, you know, it, I went to Harvard in 2010. I took a molecular like, and cell a biology class, a physics class, and, and then a chemistry class. So they were very um, – a lot of people there are – yes, they are snobs. There are snobs at Penn State, but the fact is, is that the reason why they're there is because they're really good at what they do, all right? It's not not the fact that people are being discriminated against. It's the fact that for the longest time, there's always been people that could read, and there's a lot of people that couldn't read, and the people that could read were priests, and they were the most educated people. Now, Harvard was originally a uh, religious school. And uh, the problem is, is that people don't understand that a lot of things that they use every single day are a result of a lot of the aristocrats that were are living.
0: But in, like, I, I, I don't want you to, to go down this road too much longer because you'll be giving us a narrative of the history of education. I oh, want you yeah, to I mean, I'll just get more, more direct uh, about from your own experience and from what you have observed, what are you thinking when you think about education today in the United States?
6: Okay, yeah, I have a lot to think about. I have forty-five uh, semesters of undergraduate education. I've been in uh, high—I've been in college since I graduated high school. What do I think about education? Education right now, for the most part is geared towards people that wanna blow out a degree as fast as possible and then make a lot of money from it. It's not geared towards people actual learning. I believe that I'm in for learning, all right? I would imagine at this point, since high school, I spent about $800,000 going to college. And when I first started, people had a different attitude in what they were learning they had more of an interest in it now it's like you go to university i'm at penn state right now there's a lot of yes entitled people do they want to learn no they don't want to learn the professors are telling them for class and of course it's just a maturity thing too Please, no texting during class. Please listen to the professor. The professor has spent more time trying to encourage the students to just listen to what's being said. Um, Now, Penn State is an engineering school, and they used to be an agriculture school, but now they're really big on engineering, biotechnology, stuff like that. But for the most part, a lot of students that come here feel that they're entitled. They're not interested in really learning. They're more concerned about, oh, I'm going to Penn State or I'm going to Harvard, and you get a lot of that. Again, that's a maturity thing, but at the same time, you don't get a lot of people at this point in this history where we are right now that are really, really interested in becoming an enlightened person, okay? Mm -hmm. They're not really interested. We have to point out to an uh, English literature class, they have to each semester or freshman seminar, they have to point, this is where the library is. Are you going to go there? We have to force you to go to the library. We have to make an assignment where you physically have to go to the library. They're not interested in learning. They're interested, most people, most people. Imagine if you're in state tuition, you're borrowing $120,000. International students, borrow a significant a third more because the universities are coming here on academic visas and for the most part they are science majors engineering majors and chemistry majors so all the staff at Penn State they're all either from uh, China India Americans are good at liberal arts and religions are very good in science that's typically what happens it is very hard to learn this stuff is very difficult, but the problem is is that they're not coming <laughs> to international students get charged more money because the universities realize that they're not going to get their money back most of the most of the loans given to international students they don't get the money back, so they have to charge more money but they occupy more seats, but in overall. When you get at the of the major is science, engineering, you get a lot more focus because you, it is a very intense, you know, education. You spend $120,000, $160,000 on a four-year education. You better make sure that you're being interested in what you're doing. Some students that come here will get uh, their tuition paid by the parents all the way. Or they'll get scholarships, which is not easy. And, and some of them will get uh, scholarships for sports, like football. Football's really big. So you can get a full ride on a sports scholarship. But I really do think it might seem like people are just coming here just to, oh, I'm going to make some money, I'm going to graduate. But the reality is people are coming here to get an education so they can, yes, they are going to graduate to make more money. They're not going to come here to become an enlightened person. That's not what education is right now. It's not, I don't think it has been that way for a longest time. I mean, you had the GI Bill. The GI Bill gave opportunities to people that couldn't afford to go to college. You, you, can, go, you can go to Harvard University if you want on a GI Bill you can get, uh, you can go to Army Reserve, you can go to Harvard or Yale if you want, you can go to Penn State, you go to community college on a GI Bill. But you can't really afford to pay for a whole education. But the fact is, is that what education has become, it's become like a system where you're pretty much being told what to think, and you're not encouraged to really think on your own. As long as you're thinking within the guidelines of what the professor wants you to think about, then that's considered thinking. But as far as becoming a really enlightened person to becoming a more mobile person than you were prior education, it's not about that. It really is about, of course, you're going to borrow 120 to $200,000. It's a big investment. Just like buying a house, you're going to spend a lot of time thinking About what are you going to be doing after graduation? And you don't have time to really think, like, to really think as a a person that's supposed to become more intellectually developed. No, that is not the case. It's more about establishing a career, and of course, you're going to have to pay back all that money, which is a lot. So people are not too concerned about becoming more enlightened individuals in my view, you know, and that's more than 20 years of going to college. I, I think that
0: I don't see people Thank being you very much.
6: like becoming a white individual.
0: <laughs> Thanks for contributing today. Uh, yeah. I hope people internalized much of what you've said because it's, it's the undiluted truth. Thank you very much for calling in. Could could I just add one more thing?
6: Quickly. Okay. So I was at Harvard in 2010. I had a professor, Nobel Laureate in medicine. All right. Found uh, there's a heathetic limit. He worked with a team at MIT. They found that cells will live at a certain point when anyone raised their hand about what causes cancer, what causes disease, what causes diabetes? He's like, no, it's not the air, it's not the water, it's because people are living longer. The people at, the people at Harvard, this is, he's making $900,000 a year, and he himself can't think because a lot of the money is tied to making sure that people stay sick and they keep buying drugs, and they don't want people to get healthy. All right. So the idea is that if you go to Harvard, just because you go to Harvard doesn't mean you're going have smart people. There's a Nobel lawyer making nine hundred thousand dollars a year, and he can't even be honest with you and tell you you can prevent cancer. That that's just the observation. That it's all money. There's money, so much money being made off cancer drugs. There's so much money made off diabetes. They don't want people to get healthy. You can be healthy. You can get a high school education. Don't go to college, and you'll be healthier than if you went to Harvard and get a degree in biochemistry. You know, so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thank well, you very
6: much,
0: Mitch. Harvard. <laughs> Thanks so much for calling in today. Okay, no problem. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, we have, was it Mitch? Yes. Mitch from Brooklyn. Good
4: afternoon. Oh, my afternoon. opinion is education and this should be free. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a shame that, uh, these kids are coming out of school at 22 years old, and you owe $75,000. That's terrible, that's ridiculous. That's a shame on the country. Uh, and, and it's just like, uh, I would say it's like when people were coming into this country, indentured slaves, you know, they had to pay back. You know, the money that costs him to come. That is, they're coming out of school, owing all of this money. They can't do anything. They got to pay back the loan. You can't go bankrupt because you can't, it's a government law. You can't go bankrupt on student loans. That's crazy. I I know people that went to uh, uh, other countries, Germany, Germany. Uh, uh, Cuba to get an education, and they come out and they owe nothing. They don't owe anything at all. All they have to do is make some type of commitment to go back to their communities and help people. But uh, you know, we spend all of that money on the military and nothing on our schools. I was I heard on the news today where in in, in, uh, in Ohio the teachers going to have to are are going to be licensed to carry guns. Teachers, yes. can you imagine that? That's yes. that's it's insane. So uh, that's my opinion. Shame, shame, shame on America. You know.
0: Thanks, Thanks. a lot for calling in, and that brings us to the end of our program today. I'm very glad that we returned to the subject, so that people who didn't have a chance to speak yesterday uh, did have a chance to speak today and we are all the better off for it so let's keep this rhythm going if you have something to say once that number is announced the call-in number just get on the horn and say what you got to say because a lot of people want to hear what you have to say and as i always uh, make sure that you you understand you're teachers. We're all teachers. And we're all students. But we can't be both or either if we don't have a chance to interact and talk with each other. Thanks so much for listening. And let's get together tomorrow and do some more talking. Bye-bye.